calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Again, it is I, Sarah Sentry of the Bitches on Comics, a bitch who loves comics. Today, I am here, joined, of course, by the wonderful co-host Monica Estrella Negra. Hello, Monica. Hello, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I was just saying to our guest that I went on a really long walk today, so I am slightly. You know, whenever you get like a little bit too much sun, like there's that moment where you've been out for a long time and had a like really good invigorating walk and then you start to get like a little bit tired at the very end. That's Mm -hmm. the zone that I was in whenever I sat down. But now Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm kind of coming into my own again. So how are you doing? Well, that's good to know. I'm really (laughs) glad that you will be present today for this wonderful episode of which we also have a guest joining us. Yeah. Uh, probably one of my favorite writers, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like only like five. So, you know, it's cool. <laughs> but we have Leah Anderson, horror scholar and columnist at Bangoria. How are you doing, Leah? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. And what a yeah. huge compliment. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was so nice. I was like, oh, That's so nice. <laughs> I'm like such a huge fan of Monica's work of your filmmaking. So that's uh, that's great to hear. Thank you. I'm so happy to join y'all. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, yeah, welcome to Bitches on Comics, where we always love to have our favorite, favorite people come and talk about what they do in their jobs and what they think of the world (laughs) and what they think about people and what they think about particularly horror films, or at least that's (laughs) what I like to talk about, essentially. But that's also why I thought you would be an amazing guest to have on our podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, horror films are certainly uh, (laughs) the dominating theme in my life. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that I'm kind of like talking about even when I'm not supposed to. So it's great to like be given these containers to, you know, be a nerd and a fan and an obsessive, which is most of what being a writer is, right? 
Absolutely. And since we're talking about filmmaking, I would be very, very, very sad if I didn't mention the strike that is happening right now. Because (laughs) one, solidarity. Two, um, you know, I I personally, um, you know, as a filmmaker, have been thinking about like how this will affect me and my career, even though I am not planning on moving to Hollywood anytime soon. But thinking about the future of uh, film and how it is distributed and how people will have access to our work um, when clearly AI is probably going to be the next step that major studios and distributors like look into. Um, And so this is really just about like how creatives are going to make a living doing what they love. and I think particularly uh, in horror, we've like come to a part where, you know, we've been seeing all of these new diverse voices like coming up with like films and like panels and such. And now the strike has happened and now AI is, go- is poised to take over. I'm wondering what's going to happen to um, a lot of these like newly, uh, newly known um, creators within mm-hmm. our communities. Mm-hmm. Um and I'd really like to know what your take is on this and like how it's affecting you as a horror scholar. Um, <laughs> it's particularly like with um, seeking out new creatives and like talking about their work and getting the word out, you know. Definitely. Um, so, oh God, well, there's there's like at least four tangents I could go down <laughs> in response to this. Um, uh, so with regard to... AI. Oh, it's 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 difficult and I'm I'm a big sort of um I'm I study like speculative genres, right? So everything to me is kind of like science fiction in reality and I think with AI um it's one of those evils <laughs> that uh is like really insidious and it's because it's really easy to focus on the kind of like revolutionary potential of it and there is revolutionary potential in it if we lived in a society that valued human beings and human life and human welfare but we don't and so because of that without that like sort of base line foundation of like we can use this technology to like eliminate forms of labor that are exploitative and dangerous etc but capitalism like functions on that exploitation like it it needs it it necessitates it and so this is just going to become like another mechanism of power and we're seeing that so clearly right now in Hollywood and not just like the conditions that preceded the strike, but even the way that studios have responded to the strike and the like the cruelty and the arrogance. Um, Two things happened this week that are like very indicative of kind of like the state of things uh, there was, which y'all, I, I don't know if, if y'all heard about either of these. Um, uh, so the Hollywood reporter on the like criticism front on the, like with regard to AI as it's intersecting with like 
media and film criticism, but it really is like media in general. Um, the Hollywood Reporter posted this article uh, that was like a review, a critique, a, like a, 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 a criticism of Ava DuVernay's new film, uh, Origin, I think it's called. And that post was AI generated and a plagiarism of like a blog post that had already existed. Right. Why am I not shocked? Because um, <laughs> wasn't it? Because too- I mean, like, that's essentially like AI is plagiarism. Yeah, exactly. AI. It's like Chet it's Frankenstein. GPT, right? It's Frankenstein. It's like your autocorrect that keeps, if you try to spell out like Gwyneth Paltrow, it's just like Zenith. Like, you know, it just says like things that are wrong. It does bad autocorrect. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of how yes. I have to view AI. That's why I do have skepticism around it, right? But I, I would like to hear about the rest of what you were saying because I was just like, yeah, I've I've had a few experiences with AI so far as a writer. <laughs> I've been very, <laughs> very, very unimpressed by it. <laughs> so interesting. Okay, I'm I'm very I because I have not played with it at all. Right. Um. I I see a lot of the use for it. I see why it is like so tempting. Mm-hmm. Um. But you know, there's always. There's a uh I I'm doing some like theological biblical research right now and uh one of the things that I love about like the the various interpretations of Leviathan is the idea of the sweet smell that like is its breath that like draws you in and tempts <laughs> you but then you're in the mouth of the whale. Yeah. <laughs> And that's how I feel about AI and like all of the ways that it makes writers and creatives and academics, et cetera, like the 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 sort of like surface potential of it mm-hmm. that's like very, very messy. But you go deeper, you go deeper down that hole, and it's, you know, it's just it's Frankenstein. It's yeah. Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> and uh there there's a lot to negotiate in that and i just like don't think that um we as a society are like ready <laughs> oh, <laughs> to yeah. negotiate that that mess um but as far as uh the other the other side with regard to how um with like going back to how it's intersecting with the strike and the studios and for filmmakers and other creatives cuz it's really everyone Um, the, something to be like, really kind of, I, I had like a couple hours of like extreme despair, uh, when, when this news was posted that Netflix had like posted a job, a like salaried position with like a $900,000 salary. That's basically like an AI editor. Mm -hmm. And you think about the hundreds, if not thousands of jobs that that one job, that that one salary is consuming. Oh, I pay. I, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> all I have to say is Stephen, uh, Stephen Hawkins was right. Mm, yeah. 
I mean, um, he essentially said that, like, you know, while people are freaking out about, like, you know, AI, like they're thinking about James Cameron and like the Terminator and like Skynet and stuff like that. He really said that, like, you know, what we should really be afraid of are the corporate assholes who are going to figure out that is way cheaper to invest in this technology versus, you know, actually employing people so that they can live and do what they love. Yes, it's, 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 it's a, it's, if you're running a very short term cost benefit analysis, which is what they're all doing. Right. When they're like, it's like when a, everyone lives and dies by the bottom line. Right. right. But that is short term cost. The right. long term cost is exponential and unquantifiable. And right. that's what they refuse to look at. Right. Right. Cause that's like the bubble. That's like, this is the, this is what, you know, when you imagine inflation, as a bubble, which is really like, uh, in terms of like metaphors, like one of the better metaphors for for capitalism, for why capitalism has to be regulated, otherwise it falls apart, uh, is that like you can't have exponential growth forever. There is no such thing as exponential growth to infinity. Mm-hmm. And the mess the mess is predominantly, you know, absorbed by, is not absorbed by the like 3,000 people who are called billionaires, even though like a lot of that value is itself speculative and inflationary. Like no one has billions of dollars in the bank. That's not a thing that exists. Mm -hmm. So there's like, so again, it's like science fiction as it's applied to economics, but Mm. we all know what the end of that story is because history has shown us what the end of that story is right again and again and again and again and uh yeah it's it's an interesting and horrifying time to be alive (laughs) i think it's gonna be like nfts everybody's gonna try to make it happen it's gonna not work a bunch of people are gonna hate it but the sad thing about it is whenever you do stuff like this as a corporation or as the people who do really control the economy you're like destroying people's lives right exactly so like Like, i'm not gonna say that like oh you know sunshine and rainbows it's not gonna work but it's just like it in and of itself the fact that it's not gonna work is almost incidental right because you're just like yeah it's not gonna work but you're absolutely inhuman like this is devastating to so many people who were already struggling and the fact that it got as bad as it did before everybody decided to go on strike like these companies are trying to steal people's likenesses for infinity and forever stuff. and it's just like forever. that that even just that proposition should be so beyond like what even crosses someone's mind as something that they should ever propose to do. It's just wild. You get one day of work as an actor in your entire life and that's it. Like that's yeah. wild. Do do y'all know about like the the origins of Monica, I feel like you probably do. Uh mm-hmm. the origins of zombie mythology? Absolutely. Yeah, and we actually talked about it on here a little bit before, didn't nice. we? I think we did with the um, Abby. Is that right? I think you like talked about it a little bit when we were talking about oh, Abby. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. But please go ahead. Let's do a refresher. Yeah. Well, just a, a quick, a quick refresher. Um, zom- the zombie as a monster originated in Haiti and was born out of out of anxiety about slavery. Uh, the the enslaved so 
mass suicides were a revolutionary measure that that people who either had been enslaved or were going to be enslaved um Igbo landing in Gullah territory uh down south in in South Carolina is probably like the most famous incident of a mass suicide um of Africans who had uh taken over you know the the slave ship and like you know killed all the slave owners but you know landed stateside and saw what was coming to what was coming for them and chose death um Haiti is the like center of revolutionary politics as far as I'm it's it's my center. Uh it's also it should be regarded as a historical center, but anti-blackness is pervasive and people are silly. Anyway, um so there was like a wave of mass suicides that were happening and in order to sort of like part of what came out of that was this mythos that was a response both to the conditions of enslavement and a response to like uh to to people not wanting their loved ones to die to kill themselves because out of out of despair for these conditions um that if you commit suicide then it's easier for bakor to like take hold of your soul and key and and keep you alive in this undead iteration where your body lives forever but your soul is trapped and that's kind of what still what capitalism is like asking and what these what is kind of being greenlit in in these like exercises in Leela Taylor uh who is a brilliant writer and theorist on horror and gothic um calls it social zombification where they're like literally like disregarding they're taking our image they're taking the shell of us like like our, people's images their voices their cultural production the writing that they put online the images that they put online all of this they're like taking it and like dumping the body or like 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 holding the soul hostage but like taking the labor and there's such like direct parallels in that for me that re- really uh because you see this stuff you see these like inhuman reactions and this inhuman commentary and the complete and total disregard and like contempt for human life and human creation because that's what ai is right that's like the uh the fascination with it is like what fascinates is that it is non-human except that it's not it's like pieces of the human into something non-human but like the human element is it's it's empty of that it's empty of soul it's empty of spirit of like life force and all of that is like being held hostage mhm it's like very i don't know it's very very dark this is why there's all kinds of like occultist conspiracy theories and whatnot because it is all like occult shit <laughs> oh, so i'm not going to argue with you there on that one um <laughs> <laughs> but then like i feel like 
you know, when you mentioned like the the cult stuff, like it, it sometimes just turns into really weird, like human oh yeah, shit. absolutely. So like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not validating a lot of that. <laughs> I'm not validating a lot of that. Yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> it's a lot of uh, bananas, bananas stuff out there right now. Mm-hmm. But it's because people are grasping for meaning, right? Like, right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Sarah actually knows a lot about cults. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Sarah actually knows a lot about grasping for meaning. <laughs> and I was going to be like, yeah. No, and Same I. Same thing. I, it's true. No, and I do. Like, I have done so, so much research on cults because, um, yeah, I guess after a minute, you're just like, wait a second. I think that there's actually, like, cults can be the, the thinking in a cult, right? Can be really broadly applied to a lot of things where it's just like, oh, yeah. Like, uh, you know, uh, patriotism is like a cult kind of right oh, it's absolutely. like not an organized cult but then sometimes it is and so no, but it is yeah yeah <laughs> I mean it's and it's definitely one of those things where it comes with its own thought terminating cliches like love it or leave it or like something like that right yeah. and you're just like um yeah uncomfortably culty I guess <laughs> like and I guess that I do feel yeah. that way about you know Silicon Valley as well sometimes yep yeah, it gives you the illusion of choice, right? Uh, it's like, oh, you can leave at any time, but out there is certain death. <laughs> oh, and it's always also, so can you? <laughs> it's them like being like, it's just it, you're not in charge of what I love or what I leave. Okay, like that's let's just <laughs> go ahead and make that rule first, right? Like it's just a weird thing to say, and, but it makes them not have to think. Like they don't have to challenge yeah. that, right? And that's the same. Right. That's like very cultish behavior, right? Is just to yep. be like okay, I started to question something or someone questioned me on what I think. And so I immediately had to be like, here's my thought terminating cliche. Like we end the conversation now, right? And it's just like yes. that stuff is always, you know, and I, I, it's slightly a segue, but it's also one of those things where it's like, no, that's totally connected to how people view AI. Like that's, it's just one of those things where you start to see that sometimes it's like easier for people just to like take things at like what they see or whatever. And I think I see that like all of the time now, like there isn't the same, I keep like hitting my microphone. Sorry, Kate, but there isn't that there's no, it's like, they're not having reverence for having like a skill set or like something like mm. that. I think that like a lot of times <laughs> people have to like view this and be like, Oh, like anybody could write something. Anybody yes. could, you know, cook a five, course meal or you know it's just like everybody yes. has to have this idea that you can just easily commodify literally everything and I think that that has to do with you know the the view of AI like oh I could write a Definitely. novel just by putting five prompts in and it's oh my just God. like well good for <laughs> you right. but all like of those, <laughs> all those folks that are like they're like quote-unquote publishing they're like AI produced novels they're right. like prompting like Flooding hundreds of novels a month or- and clogging up AI uh clogging up Amazon's like algorithm yeah. it's totally messing up the market. <laughs> yeah, it's a wild thing. Um, to it's yeah, it's, hear it's, about. it's it's wild. It's definitely a wild west yeah. type situation new wilderness. Um but I I'm I'm totally with you. There is a complete and total um disrespect towards not just like creators 
but the humanities in general. Mm-hmm. Like craftsmanship on in the general. part of uh, on the part of STEM. Like like this binary got created in education, and they've been like pushing this ideology. But like STEM needs the humanities in order to not be right. evil. <laughs> Yeah, you would think, right? And it's like, let's go ahead and cut them loose, right? And you're like, no, no, stem. and they're just like, no, 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 prime evil, like, like, because uh, they they hi- they sort of hide behind rhetoric of progress, right? Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, it doesn't matter how many people get butchered because now the field of gynecology exists, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's and and you know this is a this is a fact of like scientific and techno not just scientific technological history engineering history like people have died mm-hmm. horrific deaths mm-hmm. to like get to the place that we are with all of this but the 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 sort of the like going too far is uh is always like if you're valuing the speculative advancement if you're valuing quote-unquote progress at the expense of like human life and this is where we get into horror right because i was just (laughs) thinking i was like oh this just reminds me of frankenstein and it's like because it's literally frankenstein like it's literally Mm -hmm. frankenstein (laughs) mary shelley tried that was like she's like you know what i'm gonna invent um sci-fi and horror both at once and it's just gonna be like is our scientists kind of um, ethically ambiguous right now? And it's just like, <laughs> they sure are. Yeah, they are. And then yeah. you kind of get into it and you're just like, yeah, that's that whole book. But then there's been so many parables since, right? It just kind of, yeah. I think that that ends up being kind of a lot of what artists end up doing if they're writing in horror and sci-fi genres, right? Is being like, please don't be evil. <laughs> and then <laughs> scientists are just like, this sounds like a playbook that I should use to be super evil. And you're just like, no, <laughs> that's the opposite of what we want. It's true. It's really, really true. Um, Cause that's, that's present in, I mean, you think about how much happened, like the 19th century was a very, very busy century. Um, and so was the 20th. They, uh, uh, there was a lot that preceded and a lot that came after Frankenstein that mm-hmm. were just like so, so it, it, all of that change, because that's really what it's about. It's about like, like the, the architecture of society as a whole shifted during the 19th century with the abolition of slavery and then with the industrial revolution and that it's you know it's like it's what um it's what octavia butler said you know god is change and so much of that is what produces monsters it's why horror always always spikes like interest in horror production of horror narratives always spikes as it correlates with moments and decades of like major social change. That's so true. I think about like the 80s and like satanic panic. Yes. And <laughs> uh, the nuclear family and like the Reaganites and yeah, all of that yeah. stuff. And then like the 70s, which is just like lawless. Um, <laughs> I actually, 
I love 70s horror. I, I do know. too. I have a soft spot for it. Actually, I just like 70s cinema in general because Same. the rules were being rewritten because yes. there was like the 60s and then you had like the boomers having like their rebellious time, blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> but like it was a time where artists knew that the, the material that they could make could actually impact the audiences that would be watching their stuff, which is why there was so much panic about like exploitation films and like, you know, the, I, um, the uh, images of like cops and like why Hoover or what's his name? J. Edgar Hoover, why he thought it was so important to rehash or uh, rehabilitate the image of like the policeman, like in popular mm-hmm. cinema, because the cop was always seen as kind of like the doofus, you know, like the <laughs> yeah. person that you just had to evade and like who was just getting on like the hero's nerve. You notice how we're kind of like circling back to that now, which I. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) No, the propaganda is real. I mean, like even just like not even not only in like television and like film, but like also just in like the fluff pieces that like Uh, their literal PR departments. Seriously. Cops have PR departments. They seriously do. And like you'll go on Facebook and it'll be like local cop. uh, Was called to like apprehend a young black kid and mm-hmm. so-and-so shows up with the PlayStation 5 instead. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> cool. That cop. Yeah. Okay. Let's yeah. Anyway. Pretend let's that pretend that like games. not all cops. Not all cops. Not, <laughs> yeah. No, guys. Not all cops. There's just a few bad Here, Here's him They're petting not a dog. The whole like, bunch. He's right. got a puppy. But he shot but he shot one last week, but, but we didn't cover that. That's right. not, but that's, I don't I mean, see he how has that has a record of shooting. <laughs> it's 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 all bad. It's yeah. right. all bad. Right. And and I mean, like, of course that's going to happen because of like what happened uh in 2020 with like George Floyd right. and like the protests and like People actually, you know, coming to terms with the fact that maybe we need to defund the cops. Maybe the cops are not really a necessary like thing that we need to be throwing billions of dollars at every fucking year while our schools are being underfunded and while there are people living on the street who could possibly use housing. You know, so like all those bills coming out and like all these people are thinking about their pockets not being lined. So, of course, what do we do? We turn to mainstream media to use it for propaganda yes which is also like to connect to connect all of these things uh like full circle part of the reason why creators are so dependent on the giant studios and giant distributors is because there is like little to no funding in any other sector there's no like federal funding anymore for the arts and humanities Mm -hmm. those budgets were the first ones to start getting slashed but what that is it's not that the money is disappearing it's all being transferred into defense and police departments they literally it's not just like jeff bezos is holding everyone hostage but so are all of the cops the entire military industry that's where everyone's money is. That's where everyone's like quality of life is. It's all being held hostage in there. There, they can't even, they have so much money, they can't even keep track of it. Right. Oh, yeah. Remember the, how the, <laughs> Pentagon, the Pentagon failed their audit because they just couldn't find like $43 billion that just went missing. I wonder because, what happened again, to it. Because again, how, because 43, <laughs> what is $43 billion? 
Yeah. So that's like a drop in the bucket. That's like going to out to dinner, you know, or yeah, this like is, the fact yeah. that they spend like billions of dollars on Viagra for men in the military, but like won't cover abortions for people. Yeah, I mean, that's a fact. Um, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, but I mean, that makes sense in the grand scheme of like yes. imperialists, so, you know, we got to make more right. soldiers in order to keep our empire alive. But I digress. Anyway, <laughs> 70s, badass. <laughs> It was awesome. Well, they were like, yeah, we're going to like assassinate politicians and blow up cars. It was cool. Yeah. Um, and then they, when Reagan came around, they realized that like, oh shit, the proletariat's actually going to college for free. And like the poor people are learning too much and they're actually starting to wake up towards their reality. And, you know, uh, yeah. Hollywood caught the memo. You know what I mean? So like all of a sudden, all of the so-called like radical like filmmakers or whatever, artists, blah, 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 blah. They were getting blacklisted. Like they yep. were no longer receiving funding. Um, That's that. If like for anyone who's listening, who's like uh, really into the '90s, because the '90s nostalgia is on max right now. Oh yeah, that is the primary difference between mm-hmm. filmmaking in the '90s and the shift into the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Is like 9/11 happens, but it was like coinciding with all this other shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And there is like a very, very distinct before after transition in the 90s. The 90s was like was like one of those renaissance decades for black filmmaking. But there was also just like such a diversity of stories being told, Mm -hmm. like so many different types of stories and like different approaches to storytelling and like the the problem, you know, the problems of industry still stood because they, you know, the problems of industry are always present because capitalism is capitalism. But uh, there was just so many more options in terms of like, uh, I don't know, I feel like everything is rougher now. I feel like everything now, because uh, because there is this sort of emphasis, because social media dictates the emphasis on marketing, there's like way more uh, thought that's gone into like the surface image pastiche of things, Mm. but it doesn't always have the same kind of depth Mm. that you can only get from work that is like, like it takes time to create great work, no matter what it is. If it's writing, if it's a film, if it's a piece of music, like no matter what it is. Things only get better when they're given time. It's like cooking. It's like food, you know, like a stew, the longer and at the lowest amount of heat you cook a stew, like the better it's going to be, right? It's the same thing with, with art, but that's not like, that's, that's been like disavowed by, by industry and like the conditions that people are being forced to work under. There's like no upfront investment. Right. Absolutely. Those days are way, 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 like long gone, (laughs) gone. like you can't even do that. I mean, you're lucky enough to even get into like, you know, one of these Academy, uh, um, Academy Awards qualifying film festivals and have a conversation with the distributor at said festival and like, you know, maybe get like a little cut, like, you know, to have your film like hosted on a streaming platform or you might get signed, like that's cool, but like is work going to immediately come your way? Are you going to have creative control over the jobs that you get? Uh, because it seems like what the plan is, is that 
AI is going to generate these scripts and then whatever directors are signed on to whatever production house, they're just going to have to make it a reality. I think about like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how it pretty much took all of like the female film directors that was mostly excited about like, uh, uh, what's her name? Nia DaCosta, big mm-hmm. Candyman. I was like, great, awesome. We got like badass, like black woman making like this mm-hmm. very important, like, awesome film. Next thing I know, Marvel yep. snaps her up. Disney is just yep. like, yeah, here, here you go. We're going to do, uh, what is it? I don't know. Marvel. Uh, I, Marvels. I, yeah. I can't keep track of that. Whatever. Um, it doesn't matter. Um, but like, yeah. So like, I think that that's just ultimately going to be the model. Like if you want to work in this industry, you're going to just have to dole out the propaganda that we have for you. And if you want to do anything that is completely 100% your idea, you're just going to have to finance that. I think about Scorsese, like how he pretty much was just like, I'm just going to make my own movie because he has the capital to do it, but he didn't get any funds from the studio because they wouldn't give him any money. I mean, like, what is, this is the question that I always come back to when I'm like confronted with this shit, is like, what is your purpose then? Yeah. What is, is it, it's marketing. That's your purpose. So, so here and like kind of going back to like the original question of like, what are things going to look like in the future? I'm interested in what y'all think about like TikTok as a filmmaking method and medium. Like some of the shit that folks were producing during this Grimace Shake wave or whatever. (laughs) I'm not even on TikTok, but it was reaching Twitter was like impressive. Yeah, I think that the biggest problem with uh, it right now, right, is is that they have pretty low incentives for people who go viral on there. So, like, they don't pay Certainly. very well, I think, compared to still. something like YouTube, which is kind of a funny word. It's, like, funny to say that almost. It's like, oh, well, YouTube does better. And it's just like, yeah, but they have so many downsides, too. And it's also still not enough because these are the people that make your platform, right? But, yeah, with TikTok, I think that that's been, like, the biggest thing that I have wondered about or thought about how that can be improved because it seems like something that kind of desperately needs to be updated. And if it has been, you know, let me know because I'm not 100% on this. But yeah, the last I heard of it, I was like, ooh, yeah, that's rough. Like viral tweets get paid like very, very little or sorry, not tweets, but viral videos get paid very little. But at the same time, it does seem like it's a pretty huge platform for people to be able to access, grow, and then like you have, you know, the ability to post like longer videos and things like that. I haven't seen people use it, I guess, as just like a fictional narrative that much. Like I don't have people, you know, sharing like little horror films or anything like Mm -hmm. that, which sounds cool. I mean, it would be awesome. It definitely ex- it definitely exists. Yeah, I'm sure. It um, would have to, right? I mean, I would yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think about that with in terms of cuz there there's two sides to this, right? Is like people are always going to produce art. People are always yeah. going to tell stories whether they get paid for it and can make a living at it or not because it's like this is again when you devalue the humanities you like miss out on on so much about what shapes us 
we are programmed. Like if you're if if your approach to the human body is that we are machines, which I don't I'm I don't necessarily altogether subscribe to, but if that is your approach, <laughs> we are hardwired for storytelling and for art making. It is like what we are built of. People have always told stories the like you know the whole like concept of like a group of people sitting around a campfire like before history existed before the written word existed people were like singing songs and singing poems and passing it's down never stories going to go away <laughs> orally yes, yes 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 and passing those stories down from generation to generation yes. maybe they change a little bit but you know they change a lot it's yeah. the yeah, which is like which is incredibly interesting, like charting those changes and the implications and all of that is very, very, very interesting. And um, I don't think no matter how bad and this is like ancestral knowledge, right? Like if you there there's like such a huge problem of people like devaluing uh, slave culture, like People, like, even during enslavement, even under, like, the most depraved, disgusting, like, shit that you cannot, the type of horror that is actually incomprehensible to people, that don't believe you, even, like, when you present, like, material evidence in front of them, like, don't believe it. It's so awful. Even under those conditions, people were still producing art. The foundation of all American entertainment media, all music, all culture was produced under enslavement. There's nothing that is going to like stamp that out in people. And in like the moments of like, uh, you know, in like the, the deepest, darkest, <laughs> dark night of the soul type moments that like, I know that that is true. And um there's there's a story, there's a short story. Tanana Reevdu has a short story in her new short story collection, The Wishing Well, um, which folks should definitely buy because um, it's excellent. She has one of the stories is about um, is basically about someone putting on like a stand up comedy show like at the end of the world. And it's so beautiful and like uh and so full of like what i think is like the best of of humanity um and i think it's like really imperative to hold on to that because there's so much struggle in everything right now that is also necessary but like you know you have to feed yourself <laughs> right um back to your question about tiktok um i personally mm -hmm. think that tiktok is bad <laughs> mm -hmm. um i have a tiktok um i got it out of like sick curiosity um and the, most of the stuff that i do watch like i just like to look at recipes and like random like leftists like that give like lectures and stuff like i think that as that like that's pretty good but as like a resource for cinema i think that that is uh super exploitative it's super exploitative yes yeah, one yeah. because people aren't being paid but two it's just going to become a part of an algorithm and then ai is going to steal it anyway so right. what are you that's really what keeps doing? me off of it is that like <laughs> the privacy laws are a nightmare uh-huh and it's all being mined 
Right. Um, but everything is being mined and the privacy laws everywhere is a nightmare. The, I, yeah, I think about it in a lot of the same way. I was, I'm very resistant to social media in the way that you're like supposed to use it as a creator. Um, because I always kind of saw it as like every minute that I'm giving to these apps is time that's being taken away from like actually doing the work. And I think the people that uh, that have like been able to make the shit work for them the best are when they're able to like turn the medium into an extension of their work. But even so, it's still not like you're never going to get paid off of viral anything. So again, it's this like uh, this this kind of impossible balance of like how much do you give away for free? Because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm back into zines. I've been like, you know what? I I don't know why I'm writing for. <laughs> Like there's like all of this stuff lately where I've just been like, I don't know why I do this actually. I don't make enough money like at all. So I don't know why. Like I kind of think yeah. I've gotten like, I went on this long period of time of just being like, okay, well, writing about the MCU sometimes means that I get to write about these obscure horror films that nobody has ever heard of. But overall, it just kind of turned into like, you're only writing about commercial things all of the time. And so you kind of get to this place, I think, where it's like, I mean, I thought about it and I was like, yeah, say like a article is paying like $200 or something. It's like every zine I've ever made paid me way more than that. You know, it just takes mm. time. You have to sell a bunch of them, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's like even even with that time, you're still kind of doing better, I guess. And like it's also something that you can grow and you can be continually making a little bit of money off of it. So I've just been rethinking the way that we do these structures at all because I'm like in the beginning of my life as an artist. And just to be clear, like I was like a hustling zines when I was like 15 years old at punk shows, right? So like nice. I've it's that's who I am. Like ever since I was a kid, I was like, I'm going to tell you kids like this story, my fellow kids, let's listen to this story. And then it's just like you make it to the end and you're they're like, well, how does it end? And you go, I can only tell you how it ends if you like give me 25 cents and then like yes. you get your money. So it's just like, that's it. But I was like, why did I ever not do it? And basically it was just poverty. But then it was like, this didn't fix poverty. <laughs> like Taking these checks didn't fix anything in my life, actually. And I was like, it was a job just like any other job. But I think in some ways, whenever we depend on these structures and I get why we have to, right? Like, I don't want to criticize it because it's me that it's me. <laughs> I'm like looking in the mirror with a comment like this, but it's definitely just like, yeah, why, why did I ever get away from that? I guess because you, I loved it, you know, it was something that kept me engaged. And also mm -hmm. it just seems like it was more personal because I could be like this person who writes, you know, I'm one of 500,000 people writing SEO aimed, you know, articles. And then I'm just like, or you're just like that person who made that really great zine that someone has in their house. Right. And I just think that that's a better life <laughs> for me. So I've been thinking about it a lot lately and it's like, yeah, of course it comes down to capitalism and how do you pay rent and like all of this, but it's like, they've been holding that over my head for a long time. Right. So I've been, right? I don't know. I've just been thinking about it like that. 
I I'm right there with you. Like some pretty um I'm I'm working on a couple like big writing projects and also ha- just completely mired in like a total existential crisis about it. Um, <laughs> right. But because, uh, yeah, it's also like time invested. Um, but here's the thing. I was a writer when I was also a retail worker. And when the time comes that I have to go back to that <laughs> and the time will come, then I will still be a writer then. And that's like... It's true of everyone who makes art in any capacity, uh, no matter what it is, is like whatever you have to do to pay your bills and survive in this hellscape does not take away from like who you are and as as like a creator. Um, It does take away in terms of time. It makes like, you know, like you have to practice devotion in a way that's like, basically religious (laughs) but uh but if you want if you want to do it it doesn't you know you do it and like do can I say for certain that like my gosh that you know the sort of fantasy that we were all all sold with like you know the possibility of like university that if you go to college and major in film studies and you get these fellowships and these apprenticeships etc whatever then you can like get a PA job and like work your way up in the industry or whatever like is is does is that route going to exist <laughs> probably fucking not it doesn't exist really now um but I don't know that's why we've got to like fight it's like fighting for the future, for like some version of the future that is not just like, sorry to bother you. Right. If you haven't seen Sorry to Bother You and you're listening, you should definitely go watch that movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was fortunate enough to go to the Philadelphia premiere where Boots yes. was actually at. And um, what a lovely young man. Boots has been really <laughs> vocal be, about that the particular strike. premiere had to be so great. Oh, it was awesome. Um, Some people got mad at me, though, because I asked a very long and complex question and he gave me a very long and complex answer. And then they the can time stay was mad. up. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. can stay and mad. Then the time was up. But I was like, listen, I wrote a series of questions and I need to ask them. And he very respectfully gave me an appropriate response. So fuck those people. Anyway. That means it was a good question. <laughs> It was a great question. Because you know when people ask a bad question, you know how quick a filmmaker will evade that. Yeah, and I mean, it was like all typical stuff. Like, how was the movie-making process? And like, how was Sundance uh, workshops and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, where do you see the future of radical filmmaking in an industry that is obsessed with white supremacy and capitalism? Yes. (laughs) And you know that's the question he wants to answer. Company towns are terrifying, and it's uh, so scary. I can't even. I think. Oh, what's that? What's that one movie called with Francis McDormand? Oh gosh, I don't. My like recall ability is trash. God, it's when she plays this lady who lives off the grid. It won an award. Oh, Nomadland. 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 Yeah, she. That character originally lived in a company town that we that went defunct. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's mm. horrifying. <laughs> and it's terrifying. Yes, she like goes back to the neighborhood and it's just like, it looks like something from like a zombie apocalypse. Like, And I think uh, fake Hitler 
Musk or whatever, he uh-huh. wants to do like his own SpaceX Tesla. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. They're down. all moving. They're all, yeah. that's what Silicon Valley and like all of those companies are moving towards. Um, the it's already and like you can. I I have a friend who works for like a big a big production company, and uh, the way that she describes the like. It's basically a company town already. It's basically like the infrastructure is already laid. It just doesn't, people aren't like locked in fully yet. Mm-hmm. But I also like when that, when those offers come, like when people are presented with these choices of like, if I take this job, my whole, like everything in my life becomes easier. But the paternalism of that structure is so, 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 it's almost a direct mirror of, again, the conditions of slavery, of like, the master is going to feed you and clothe you, and this is benevolence. We're telling you this is benevolence. But if you step out of line, we're going to do untold horrors to you. Wasn't that? But you like have a choice. He just said at the even at the very <laughs> beginning, he was like, "Let's go to Mars. I'll just keep you all as indentured servants." <laughs> it's, it's just I like, mean, um, <laughs> like no. I'm like, you should go. You should go. Go to Mars. Get out of here. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like, oh, it's so desirable. Bye. See ya. Have fun. <laughs> and then you can take all of these people who anytime you criticize him, like lose their minds on the internet and you could just take them and have a great yeah. time as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Sadly, I feel like you're going to try to completely destroy this planet on your way out because that's kind of what's happening right now. So, you know, it seems like there's going to have to be a conflict, but it's just like, yeah, if you just want to go to Mars, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically, I mean, it's basically the X-Files. It's basically yeah. the, like, canon conflict of the X-Files without the, like, alien imperialism yeah. aspect. It's just, like... It's just people. Just, it's just like the end of everything, right? It's like, oh, it's just these five billionaires that have been this awful. <laughs> There's an approximate number of them, and all of their names are listed online. Yes. Um, <laughs> everyone? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was literally, like, before this even started, I was reading this book, Aftermath, that's talking about the 10 years after uh, World War II in Germany. And it ha- it talks about the early Volkswagen stuff. And that was almost like a company town, sort of, that turned into, like, a weird, like, work camp <laughs> thing, right? Volkswagen. I know. Uh. It's just, I was like, because I, you know, you know the thing. You're just like, oh, yeah, this is totally, like, one of Hitler's pet projects and, like, all of this. And then you get into it and you're like, what? <laughs> like, I guess I shouldn't even be surprised, right? But... No, no, no. I was raised by, um, like, my my grandfather um, was not, like, oh, man. He, he was, like, very clear and very adamant. Like, I was not raised in the story of, like, America won World War II and the Nazis were defeated. I was raised right. in... There are Nazis everywhere. <laughs> right. There are Nazis yeah. literally everywhere. And uh, no, he was like very intentional about 
like raising me in the knowledge of all of the Nazi funded companies. And when I say Nazi funded, I mean funded by the money, the bank accounts, the property that was stolen from Jewish, queer, Romani, et cetera, from everyone who was not, right. you know, Aryan in Germany. Um, I, I feel compelled to like emphasize this all the time because the story of Kristallnacht has kind of like been turned into like people's concept of it is like uh, a bunch of businesses got vandalized, but no, right. it was a total, it was absolute cannibalism. <laughs> it was absolutely right. an act of cannibalism by the state. And that is the trajectory that we're heading down very quickly. Yeah. Oh, and then there's just people very proud of that, too, which is, like, very yes. terrifying well, to see. But I guess that that's what's required, right? I, I, well, there, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of, like, ideological prepping involved in that, right? Like, right. you have to, you have to turn someone into a monster. You have to turn a group of people into a monster. Right. Well, yeah, in the book, a big part of what they talk about is how, like, people who had been active or passive participants, people who didn't fight the Nazi regime, how they, after the war, viewed themselves as victims of the war. And it's just like, yeah. that's just wild stuff to get into because then you're just like, oop, sorry, my hope for humanity just took a pretty bad hit right there. <laughs> like, oh, that yeah. was a rough oh, one. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to take us a minute to bounce back from that because it's like, what? Like, horror is like, in a response to something like that, you're like, well, horror is like a, to me, like a, almost like a happy fairy tale sometimes because it's like you get your conclusion. You have like your, you know, it's like it begins here, it ends here. The final girl gets out of it or like, you know, whatever yeah. random thing. Even if it's a bleak ending, it's just like, well, at least like I see the conclusion of this because the main character did some like morally unacceptable things or something like that. So in a way, a lot of horror still is kind of a morality tale. Like not all of it but a oh, lot of absolutely it. and so and, and in a good way sometimes right like twilight yes. zone or something this is like one, one of the the core sort of foundational approaches that i take to horror is understanding storytelling and particularly the monster as a figure in storytelling as a technology as a tool that sort of helps i think to take to sort of extract the morality from the situation and to kind of uh, to be able to sort of like take apart what a given story is saying about a culture, a time, etc. The like, I've always loved monsters, mostly because as a kid, I like really identified with them. Because when you look at like, this is one of the things about like the code films that the the whole period of time in the mid 20th century where Hollywood was like self-censoring through this like very, very Christian nationalistic documents. And that whole uh, like in this whole period of time, the 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 like monsters in the horror films and the villains in non-horror films were, you know, overwhelmingly coded queer or black or uh, along the lines of some religious, sexual, ethnic, national other. Um, you know, like 
the fifties, the like big bug fifties sci-fi films are always the ones that like come to mind. Um, mm. I've been like really focused on the blob this year, mm. um, love the blob. which is like a prime example. Um, but you can feel so like, it's kind of uh, like a knee jerk, easy analysis where it's like, this is queer phobic because the monster is queer. But most of those monsters are deeply sympathetic. Like you have to look at the way the like the directorial choices and the narrative choices in like how the conflict in the film is being treated. And that's where like a lot of the complexity and a lot of the nuance comes out. Um, Fear for Fear, the docuseries on Shudder, does a really great job of like handling and kind of negotiating this analysis. Um, and Horror Noir also on Shudder uh, also does a really great job of navigating this too with regard to Black Horror. Um, one of the things that I like focus on with Black Horror is the way that Black creators specifically renegotiate like the monstrous. Like what is monstrous? within a Black perspective, because those stories don't follow, like, the same narrative structures all the time as, like, your standard hero's journey, which is kind of, like, what a lot of the, like, uh, a lot of the, like, sort of classic horror, that's that's kind of the structure that those stories take, um, even in, like, the exploitation models. But they, there's a lot of, that's part of what, what I love about 70s horror too is that like because it was that time of like social change and like the medium was not new but there was new freedom in how to use it um so it like lent itself to a lot of like experimentation and some of that was really great and some of it was really awful but and some of it was like really great and how awful it was like I love Abby (laughs) Even though I've never seen a good, a, like a good quality version of that film, and even though it's problematic, right. as fuck. <laughs> we talked about Still it, right? It. This is this is one of Monica's favorites, I believe. We had a lot of fun watching it. Um, I had seen it before, but we watched it for one of our episodes, and I think we all had a really good time with it. It's perfect. I think that <laughs> it is like a movie about myself. Yeah. Yeah. There's moments where, like, literally it is you. Like, there's moments of that movie. And it's usually when she's being kind of playful or whatever, but I'm always, but is possessed for sure. I'm like, that reminds me of Monica in a good way. Like, I mean, it doesn't sound like that's a compliment, but I'm like, yeah, that's no, that is absolutely. It's, yeah, uh, my, it's a black girl monster is just like my favorite monster because I identify with them. (laughs) That's me too. <laughs> and also, I, I feel like it's also just like a big fuck you to any type of respectability politics exactly. that black women yeah. are always supposed to subscribe to. Exactly. Um, because I feel like, you know, I'm I'm clearly like a fan of anti-heroes, right? Because I just feel like life is complex and people mm-hmm. have histories and people have mental illness and all these other things. And like, nothing truly can be justified unless you're actually in that situation and you understand the context of it, which I think makes a really good anti-hero storyline. And so a lot of the people and characters that I love and like, you know, 
see myself in, you know, have those types of complicated backstories. The only problem is, is that a lot of those characters are only written to be white women or white men. Um, because they have this the correct skin color to be problematic and complex and have, you know, that understanding that maybe we should just like ask this person why they feel this way about certain certain things. Whereas black women are not given that type of grace. If we have an attitude, it's just because we're always mad. It's not because I'm having a PTSD moment and this moment triggered me and I just can't fucking talk to you right now. Um, Or, you know, maybe um, the reason why I have like a drinking problem is because like I was sexually assaulted as a youth or like I couldn't come out as queer to my family because they're conservative. But like I have like this witty, like sarcastic, like personality that is just like my coping mechanism. But I am still worthy of being being heard. I am still worthy of getting like my redemption arc of like learning how to be better for myself, you know? Receiving Um, grace. And receiving grace, exactly. The like being allowed the full spectrum of human emotion and experience. Like the, 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 the degree to which people pathologize Black women's anger is is itself a pathology. <laughs> it's, it is incredible to bear witness to people's expectation that they like be allowed to do harm to you and that you are just supposed to take it. And that if you react to it in any kind of way, like literally any way that you are somehow doing harm to them, like the gaslight, the manipulation is on max a hundred percent of the time, ninety nine percent of the time, when you get older and learn yeah. how to navigate it. <laughs> right, exactly, and like and- not negotiate with terrorists anymore. Happy holidays, everybody. Just kidding. It's not even a holiday. All of the holidays are done right now, and we will get no more anytime soon. So what? What's your favorite holiday? Which one would you rate five stars? And which one would you rate zero stars? Halloween, of course. Oh, a five-star holiday. Yeah, that's not a bad one. Now, which one would you rate zero stars? Christmas. That's a deep cut because we talked about this in a prior episode, a Patreon episode about Star Trek, where we discovered that you really don't like Christmas, but also that none of us really like Christmas all that much. So I'm going to say zero stars for me as well. Maybe one star because I like the hats, but (laughs) that's all I got. You got a good hat on your holiday, and I'm going to probably have to give it at least one star. So there's other things that you can rate, review. For instance, you could rate and review this podcast. We don't pretend to like Christmas, and we never will, but <laughs> you could rate and review us if you would like. And if you were to rate and review us, you could say something like, your rabbits are beautiful, and I hope you have a happy life, and this podcast is my favorite podcast I've ever listened to. And I'll be like, that's great. Five stars. Five star review. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I actually, um, so Girl House Cinema, which is the cinema collective in Berlin, who've always been super supportive of my work, um, actually just asked me to do an Instagram Post for them for the series that they're doing where they're just talking to alumni filmmakers about the films that like have deeply impacted their lives and like you know having like a certain theme to it and the films that I've chosen are the theme is black women who don't uh partake in responsibility politics and I'll actually let you know which films they are as oh listeners God, yes, if you want to check out these movies you should, but also you should go to Girl House Cinema's Instagram and follow because that will be dropping on August 2nd. And I'm pretty sure this episode will drop way after that. So I did uh, Just Another Girl in the IRT, which is a very underrated movie. Um, not very well known. Um, it's not a horror movie. Um, it was made in the 90s, 1992. And um, it stars uh, Ariane Johnson, um, and it takes place in New York. And it's literally just like, you know, about this 
Black girl who's from Brooklyn who wants to, you know, get out of the projects and go to college and, like, become a doctor. And, like, she's super radical. Like, she's, like, always talking about, like, colonizers and, like, Malcolm X (laughs) and, like, whatever. And she just, like, you know, does not give a fuck about anybody's feelings, like, if they try to come at her sideways. And it's just absolutely a perfect movie. But then, you know, she gets caught up, like... I won't say much more, but like she gets caught up in a situation, but like she does like overcome, you know? So I think that that film definitely deserves a watch is by Leslie Harris. And like, Leah, you're right. Like the 90s was like a very special time for Black filmmakers and and Black narratives. Um, There was just more money. (laughs) There was just more money for that shit to happen. Yeah. Well, people Um, also weren't being given like... $600 $600 million budgets, you know? This right. is the other thing, is like, uh, I mean, I, I, like a, a real fast, like if you give Marvel all of a studio budget, then there's nothing else for like smaller budget right. films. Right, Same exactly. thing in publishing. If right. Britney Spears gets an entire publishing house's budget for the year, then no one else gets to publish books. Anyway, right. sorry, continue. Back to it. <laughs> all good. Um, and so I have uh, Nice Colored Girls, which is a short experimental film by Tracy Moffat, who is probably one of my favorite genre. Well, not genre. Narrative. She's a narrative filmmaker. She's probably one of my favorite narrative filmmakers. Um, and it follows three Aboriginal uh, women um, downtown um, in Australia. And it's pretty much just documenting their night out. Um, They start the night by saying that they're going to try and find a captain, which is slang for a white man to like pay for like their good time. And it's kind of like, you know, uh, utilizing the, the utilizing colonization as a means of appeasing their ancestors who were violently wiped out on that continent from like British criminals that were sent there. So, um, It's very short. It's like 16 minutes, but it is probably one of the most influential films I've ever seen. And you should check it out. The thing about it is that her work is very hard to come by and I actually admire her for that. Because I feel like, I feel like if anybody's like trying to escape this AI thing, like take your shit offline, try to figure out different ways of getting it. I, this is the reason why I took the Audrey's Revenge Instagram off. Um, and I don't have my films available online because I just don't want. Yeah. Forcing back to like the analog word of mouth. Seriously. And I think that that's pretty much what's going to happen. I mean, there I are a lot of Gen Z kids that are fascinated with how we grew up. Yeah. Um, and I think that's awesome. Like some yeah. of them are opting out of like not like having cell phones, which is which is awesome. Yeah. I think that that's actually the way like if you want the way that is like something akin to freedom (laughs) right that's probably it probably yeah um and then we already talked about abby so that is definitely Mm -hmm. on the list um and then there's this short film called black girl in paris which is actually an adaptation of a novel by shay youngblood amazing book if you haven't read it please go read it please read this book It is amazing. I actually saw this movie by happenstance because I was doing a review for this website that shall go unnamed. Um, And it was for um, a film festival. um, What was it? The Black Lesbian Association had a film festival. And so they had a series of shorts and documentaries that they um, showcased online. Um, And 
I saw the adaptation of this particular novel. Um, And it pretty much follows a young Black woman who goes to Paris in search of James Baldwin. Um, And it's so poetic and it's such a beautiful book. And she meets this sex worker um, who's also a Black woman and like they end up becoming friends and just like having like this wild time like in Paris. Oh my God. It's amazing. That sounds incredible. Please watch that movie. (laughs) That sounds like my fantasies. (laughs) It is so good. I think you will enjoy it, but read the book and then watch the short film because it's awesome. Uh, Keandra Parks wrote the screenplay. That sounds incredible, truly. Yeah, so check check it out, check it out, check it out. I'm actually, I'm a, that's all I'm going to share. Wait for, <laughs> okay. wait for the post because we got to wrap. We got to um, get out of here. I think we've taken enough of your time. Oh, but I do have a question though. Yes. Ooh, any movies that you've seen that you feel our readers should check out? Oh, Lord. After listening to this conversation. I know, I know. I'm awful <laughs> that I did that to you. To recap, this conversation has been AI and strike. Wow. We hate capitalism. Really cool yeah, movies wow. to watch. So it's like any anything that would harken back. Um, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, so first and foremost, Nikki Arujusu. If you don't know her, Google her. And watch all of her films. Um, her first feature, Nanny, is being released on by Criterion in October. The film is like contemporary gothic horror, black horror canon. Like it's going to be, it is going to be situated within the black horror canon when like, you know, versions of us are talking about this stuff 20 years from now. I really want to interview her. Yeah, I'm really excited for them. <laughs> um, really, real excited for them. Um, oh wait, um, did they use they 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 them pronouns? Oh no. Oh wait, were you talking about Nikki Aru and not yeah. future? Oh, okay, I I was I was thinking about the future ghosts. Um, you should definitely interview interview her. She is uh, incredible and. Also a Libra and um, very brilliant. We when I when I interviewed her last, like so much of the time was spent just like gushing. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was definitely like a lesson in professionalism. Because um, I'm also a huge fan of her short film Suicide by Sunlight. Mm-hmm. If you're into Blade, you need to watch her. <laughs> um, okay. I think she, I think if I'm remembering correctly, I think she's expanding the short into a feature. And that's one of the things that she's working on right now. She's also doing the like reboot of Night of the Living Dead. If anyone else was doing this project, I'd be like, meh. But because she's doing it, I'm really fucking excited. And I think it's going to be an incredible reclamation. Um, so Nikki Jusu, anything and everything. Um, Criterion also had like some of her other short films up. I, I'm not sure if they're still on there, but check them out. Um, otherwise, like the people under the stairs, if you have not 
if you're listening and you've not seen the people under the stairs, please do yourself a favor. Um, Wes Craven is probably my favorite of the like canon horror directors, Ooh, the yep. like canon white male horror directors. Right. Um, I'm just very making excited noises <laughs> over here because I was like, I actually pretty recently just did a podcast where we talked about Wes Craven's whole career, basically, and we tried to fit yeah. that into like 90 minutes. So it's basically yeah, just like run through the hits, <laughs> run through the hits, right? And uh, it's 100% that People Under the Stairs comes up because I think it was like the first one from him that I had seen whenever I was a kid and we had it on VHS. So our nine VHS movies <laughs> were just yeah. on all of the time. But it is a good movie. It definitely teaches you that like that weird brother sister combo that lives down the street and like keeps all of their windows <laughs> closed. Like there might be something very, very wrong with them. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a very brilliant film. Um yeah. I know uh, people tend to focus on, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream, right? Um, etc. But I mean, I New Nightmare. I also really love New Nightmare. Oh yeah, I mean, I it's know it's all hits for the most part. <laughs> I like, I watch some of his old stuff. Not, I mean, Last House on the Left is one where I'm like, that can stay in the past right now. I don't need to. Yeah, watch Yeah, I that watched again. it exactly once and was like, I'm good. I'm we don't have to do it again. Good. Um, but I'm glad he didn't stop there because it very well could have. Right? It seemed like that was like almost a career-ending move for him. And so the fact that, yeah, I was watching even he. There was a movie that had like Ernest Borgnine and like Sharon Stone in it that was like a very goofy movie but you can see that 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 direction is just absolutely incredible so it's yeah it's always worth it right yeah yeah oh and Vision. Music of the Heart which I never actually watched but he did no, do a yeah, Meryl Streep movie that's, <laughs> yeah the one that I haven't seen right. um I like to save things <laughs> sure. Have like kind of a squirrelish approach to <laughs> to films. Um I just watched The Abyss for the first time, another film that I've uh that I've just like held on to um mm. because the 80s you know. one, right? Yeah, 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 89. Nice. Um very very excellent. I'm writing my column on it presently. Um uh Good Lord. I always blank out. I always blank out on these questions. I was about to say, you gave some recommendations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'll keep going until someone tells me to stop. <laughs> we actually haven't talked about your column. So I think that like maybe the last thing for us on our, yes. on our way out is we should uh, address that you write this column. <laughs> like we mentioned it very, very briefly, but like most of our conversation has not been this, right? So... I would just love to hear a little bit about the column and also, you know, I've, I've been reading through uh, some recent stuff and was just like, yeah, this it, it ties very directly into a lot of the things that we did talk about in this. So I would love yes. to hear a little bit more about this <laughs> and also, you know, just kind of what your plans for the future on this are. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I write a column for Fangoria. It's called Eden Alive. And per the title, um, it's all about devouring monsters. Um, so I, it's kind of organized around this concept called the swallowing, which is 
sort of like umbrella terminology for <laughs> for like every iteration of like devouring beast that exists in film and literature and visual art and mythology etc um it is definitely the column really focuses on like on horror films but like definitely connects these films to their like literary historic mythic folkloric source materials um it's incredible how connected these stories are like i i can draw like pretty much a straight line from jaws to like yeah to like the bible <laughs> and right. like stuff that predates the bible um that exists there are things that predate the bible um in case you didn't know because we're not taught otherwise in this country. Right. You can't always be sure. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, I always forget about that, right? Where you're just like, oh, right, right. Just in, um, <laughs> like, sometimes <laughs> you have to go back and be like, oh, right, right, right. So, like, I forgot to explain that, like, science is a thing and time and history. Yeah, it's um, just history is really, really long. Um, and <sighs> it's, but, like, but very interesting to, like, make these connections. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. I... Yeah, I write about like all kinds of different iterations of it and like really the um the symbolism and the cultural and social, political, economic implications. Um and yeah, I my sort of like general thesis, general um, you know, kind of outlook on things and on the world is that it is not the human that creates the world, but the monstrous and what we assign monstrosity to. And you know, that does seem like it does connect to our earlier <laughs> conversation. <Yeah. laughs> it's just like, seems like the beast that consumes. Okay. Yeah. I think I, I, I have some parallels. I'm going to probably need to think about them for a long time. So I definitely, it's, a, it's an enormous subject. It's giant. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, like, very, Um, like, a cultural, like, yes, let me think about how this, like, applies to literally everything in my life. Um, It's also approached from, like, specifically from, like, a Black feminist abolitionist perspective. Um, So that's, like, that's also the center. So how do people, They it's on the Fangoria site. and Yeah, so it's on the Fangoria site every month. Um, you can Google, like, I mean, check out the Fangoria site. Fango is, like, really special <laughs> in, the, in the landscape of things. Um, our editorial team is very, very intentional about, like, the direction and vision and voices that um, that are given space in this outlet, which is, you know, for horror is like absolutely historic. Um, every, like basically every single time I meet someone and they find out that I write for this magazine. It's oh, it's always like, oh my god! When I was a kid, I used to like sit in Barnes and Noble or Borders or Walden Books. Walden books, TBT, <laughs> um, you know, and and read this or like steal old issues and such. It's definitely um, the magazine itself is like such 
an important part of horror history and uh phil and angel and meredith and everyone at fango is like really really awesome and has given me like an incredible amount of like latitude and space to uh write and explore exactly what i want (laughs) which not everyone would do um yeah so definitely if you have some coins and you want to support media and you should because the landscape is real bleak uh Fangoria subscription definitely the way um otherwise in terms of like longer or like bigger projects um I'm working on two book length projects of different different sorts um neither of them are under contract so I shouldn't really be talking about it right yet. <laughs> but uh but like one is One is more like theory is like horror theory um, slash criticism. And the other is a graphic novel. And there will be lots of devouring monsters in both. It sounds (laughs) like something you should come back and talk to us about in the future. (laughs) Um, Certainly. (laughs) When you can. So I would like to know if people want to support you, um, obviously go check out a Fangoria subscription, but... Where would you like to be found <laughs> online? Yes, online. Oh my God. This is like such a loaded question right I now. Know. We just be. were like talking about, <laughs> but that's it too. I'm always like, oh, well, you could find me on Twitter, but if you do, that's on you. Like, don't blame yeah. me, right? It's like at this point, we're not, we're not proudly sharing our Excuse social medias me? anymore. Don't you mean X? X. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Every this time is like I see the that. third time I've been corrected. Every it's hilarious. T- <laughs> Somebody said the reason why he called it X is because he's always saying my ex. <laughs> Get it? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, where can we find you? <laughs> so on Twitter, which will always be Twitter, um, it is uh, my name at Leah, L-E-A-E Anderson. On Instagram, in case, you know, you go to like open that app one day and there's just like sprinkles on Instagram, which I like very rarely use. Um, it's at Araclea. It's it's weird. So it's A-R-A-C-H-L-E-A-A. And you can find me there occasionally with like <laughs> big updates. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking about like starting a newsletter. It's uh, you know Ooh. things are things are moving around on there, and yeah, sometimes it's just kind of best to like sit back and wait for the dust to settle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sit back and wait for the dust to settle is probably the episode name this round <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because it's just like yeah, sit back and wait for the dust to settle on literally all of this. And literally, uh, we'll see, like, we'll see where you're at, Hollywood. Of the uh, global architecture that's currently failing. <laughs> oh my God. I know. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see infrastructure of the United States of America since, like, mm. all of our money went to the military or whatever. Um, uh, and horror. outer space, putting guns in space or whatever, <laughs> whatever goofy stuff. And it's just wild because it's like everything we've talked about today is literally Elon Musk's fault. It's nuts. So you're just like, how could you, how is this one person affiliated in everything? <laughs> like, 
mean, and well, oh, I guess that's gosh. what happens if, like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, well, let's just end techno-fascism. that right there. <laughs> Technofascism. Yeah. Oh, and the he's real the one, enemy. Too. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, yeah, anytime I, he was like, he loved like the Hitchhiker's Guide. And whenever I read Douglas Adams, I'm just like, what did Elon Musk get out of this book? Right? It's just like, I always like think about that being like, what? What did you get it's out of this? So confounding. It's so confounding on so many levels. <laughs> like the same thing as uh, she who will not be named. <laughs> like I gotta do something with my Deathly Hollows tattoo because God. Uh, what did oh, she, and a lot of people are in what that did she get position. Out of this shit? I know it's like what a are you whole, doing this for? What a fumble! I was at a poetry conference once, and um, my workshop leader said something to me in passing like he was like every boy I've ever slept with has had a Deathly Hollows tattoo and I have been thinking about that for years now <laughs> <laughs> about like all of the queers with these fucking tattoos who now have to like negotiate this woman's madness right Ooh, I'm so just, like, glad I never went that deep oh god it's I'm proud of you. I definitely. My mom was like, you're going to regret that. And I was like, I can't imagine any scenario <laughs> in which I would ever regret this. <laughs> and here it revealed itself. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, they answered that question for you. Um, <laughs> Luckily, it's really small. Oh, man. Oh, that's good. That's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've oh. seen some that are like folks' whole arms. And I'm like, Ugh, oh, man. That's for you. Yeah. Oof, oof. <laughs> oh man but if anybody knows of any tattoo removal people um make sure to get in touch with oh no that shit hurts comments. too much i You're can only get imagine into something yeah. else yeah uh, i know yeah just yeah. get a cover Oof. up i just went exactly. over it with another tattoo that's what i did yeah 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 i had like, one where well, i was like that doesn't work and then like after a minute i was like you know what i am gonna do is <laughs> just put a whole <laughs> other tattoo right over it because i don't like that old one anymore probably what's gonna happen but yeah uh, yeah yeah it's the, the mind you know the mind boggles at at <laughs> how people interpret art you know it's it's uh it's dangerous it's dangerous in all the best ways and all the worst <laughs> right <laughs> like that's the end of the interview is like <laughs> is that the end of the interview <laughs> oh gosh i'm like <sighs> I never know how to end things on a positive no, note. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's not on you to make the world be a positive <laughs> note. Like, that is that is not uh, any of our watch responsibility. Watch Abby and like Abby. revel in the like pleasure and jouissance of like you know black women laying waste. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's where I derive pleasure from. <laughs> Yeah, me too, actually. And honestly, Monica, do I think. So yeah, yeah, do that. All right. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. This It improved my Saturday exponentially. So Yes, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah. And Monica, of course, thank you so much for setting this up, for being here, for everything you say, I guess. <laughs> like, what else Absolutely. can I thank you for? This was yes. a joy. Thank you so much, Leah, for everything that you've done for horror. Seriously. Yeah. Continue. Continue with your brilliance, please. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it's, it. It is explicitly for like you and all the other black horror creators that <laughs> that tell me to keep doing it because y'all, the landscape is bleak. 
but folks keep making brilliant work. The rise of the machines. <laughs> Jesus. I'm like, we got to get out of here before this becomes yeah. Terminator. All right. But, so like, <laughs> all right. You're listening to Bitches on Comics, distributed by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Find more shows like Bitches on Comics by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at bitchesoncomics and on Instagram at at bitchesoncomics. Our website is brace yourself bitchesoncomics.com if you go there you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs i don't remember what it is i am in charge of updating the website however so good luck (laughs) thanks for the heads up i'll go to this website now if you'd like to support the podcast you can do so by rating and reviewing us on itunes spotify or stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts you can also support the podcast by joining us on patreon Head to patreon.com slash queerspec to learn more. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. I'm Monica Estrella and you can find me at www.audreysrevenge.com or on Twitter at Audrey Revenge. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey, I'm Jillian Clare, the host of the podcast, Thanks for Coming In. I've accumulated some pretty crazy audition stories over the past 20 years, and so have my friends. And I was like, you know what? No, not going to do this. And then Disney calls and is like, we need you to come test for the anime movies. I didn't know if my scene was going to get cut or not. Ooh, I could play that. Tune in every Thursday to hear your favorite actors tell the funniest, saddest, and most cringeworthy audition stories. Sometimes even the one that got away. Thanks for Coming In is available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.